It is the 200 level episode 105. They're back. I think that goes without saying when I'm talking about Iowa and Kofi. Friday and Saturday, a one-two punch of good news for Illini fans on what was a very eventful Friday, July 31st for anyone that was listening to 93.5 over the years. That was the last Jeremy Warner show and the end of an era, so to speak. And we'll get to that in a bit. But of course, as Jeremy has often joked about, he'll do a podcast and then some sort of huge news will break. Well, he ends his show on Friday, July 31st. And that same evening, IO comes back with, of course, a very well-made video, just perfect branding and marketing as he is known to do. And Illini fans go crazy. It was the best Friday news dump that I can remember. Usually, you say Friday news dumps for bad stuff. He decides, IO and his family or whoever else is in on that decision, to come out on Friday evening, July 31st, and let Illini fans know that he is, in fact, coming back for this basketball season, however that basketball season may look. Then we waited with bated breath, not for long though, in regards to Kofi's announcement. And I think it became pretty clear pretty quick that Kofi would be coming back. And sure enough, on Saturday afternoon, he confirms that he is. So this episode, we're going to be focusing on what was a huge round of good news for Illini fans. This coming during a week in which there was some bad news as well. Of course, there was the end of Jeremy's show on 93.5. And I want to get to the importance of that and really what Jeremy and Lon helped bring about in terms of sports media coverage locally. But the real sad news was Lou Henson passing away after a long battle with cancer, with illness, and yet through it all, whenever you saw him at the State Farm Center or at a pre-recorded video message, whatever it was, he always had this positive vibe about him. And it sounds like that was how he was until the very end. Mary Henson actually showing up at DWS on Saturday morning for Sportsline with cookies. I mean, this is the Henson family. There was a reason that they were so beloved around Champaign-Urbana, and they really were sort of a patriarch and matriarch for this community. I don't think that's hyperbole when you think about the impact that they've had. We got a lot to get to. We'll get to Lou and his legacy and my recollections of what it was like to be a fan during the Lou Henson era, even though I was pretty young. So this was at the tail end of his career, and yet there was this familiarity that I think Illini fans had with him, this sense that, well, he's going to be here forever. He felt like that was our guy, like many other basketball and football programs have their Tom Izzo, I guess, if you're Michigan State, your Bobby Knight, if you're Indiana, and you got Lou Henson, if you're Illinois. He was here for about, what, 28 years, I want to say, from 78 to 96, and uh, we'll get into all that later on. Before we do, what is a packed show full of good news, bad news, sad news? It runs the gamut. I do need to remind you that we are brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. And they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you can stay at home. You can order your favorite calzone, custom, any topping you want, or one of their favorites, like Maui Wowie, Buffer Zone. You get the dipping sauce, they bring it to your door, piping hot. So go online to dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and and just in time for football season, they have new styles coming out. And I have seen firsthand what some of these look like. Illini football fans, be ready to check out fourthandkirby.com for new apparel soon. But in the meantime, you can buy two shirts and get one free. And you can use coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. brianismyguy.com. Of course, Trevor's favorite domain name, not just because it's easy to remember, but because there's so much information that you can get there. And not only are Brian and his staff experts in insurance, home, auto, life, renters, business, you name it. They're also local products, so they have your local interest at heart. That is brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Got to thank Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level and start off real quick with a note about the end of the Jeremy Warner show. And I popped on the show briefly Thursday morning with Lon and Jeremy for about seven, eight minutes to do a little bit of Remember When. And I know that Remember When can be a sort of you know, empty conversation to get into. It's sort of like the last resort when you don't have something more interesting to say. But I was thinking last week as Jeremy was winding things down and I'd heard about it briefly, uh, a conversation that he and I had before he made the announcement last Tuesday. So that wasn't a shock. But I think that as the week wore on, it felt like, well, this is certainly the end of an era. And I do remember distinctly meeting those two guys two months into their show, becoming the third mic on Tuesdays and Fridays. My role grew, and the show grew as those guys really established something that we had not seen here in Champaign-Urbana. Now, 
everyone knows Lon, right? If you've listened to this show, then you would have probably listened to Tay and Carp, Tay and Jay. Lon is a gregarious personality. All that goes without saying. Without him, the whole dynamic of any radio show is a lot more dry. Let's put it that way. But Jeremy sometimes gets falsely, I think, put into this hole of being the boring numbers slash data guy when he is not that at all. And I think about how he has grown and really we all grew simultaneously by working and bouncing ideas off each other. And now he was doing a radio show with Austin, of course, but a lot of solo stuff five days a week. So I can pop down here and do two podcasts a week. No big deal. 10 hours of radio a week. And the preparation that he would put into it, the interviews, uh, actually, you know, an itinerary that is well organized and lined up as opposed to me coming down here with a few notes written down on my iPhone. That is an impressive thing to do. So it's no surprise that he is wanting to take a step back from that and have some more time for he and his family and still be able, of course, to bring you all the coverage that you want at Illini Inquirer. That's the other thing, too, is that the sports media landscape for Illinois has improved drastically, and Jeremy's a huge part of that. To think that he and I are the same age, but here's the key difference. Even though we were both at the College of Media, news editorial journalism, we took the same classes, and yet I don't think we ever had one together. We just somehow missed each other over those four years. But he is a reporter in the truest sense, a journalist in the truest sense. He enjoys making contacts and digging into the story. I, on the other hand, was thinking, I'll just be a commentator. I'll be an analyst. I'll be the guy that writes a column. And I I somehow forgot that in order to get to that point, you need to pay your dues and actually be a reporter. I didn't have that journalistic bone in my body like he does and other people do. Kudos to them because we need it. Uh, I was much more of a off-the-cuff, let's do the Illini Drive at 5 on WPGU. Oh, look, there's a new sports radio show in town. Maybe I can kind of hitch onto that wagon and just talk on the air. That was my MO. And it is, let me call it what it is, easier than what Jeremy does. Certainly less time-consuming, less about relationships and all that. I flip on the mic, say a few things about this and that. He actually hunkers down and digs into information, gets those contacts, recruiting, game coverage, you name it. Alana Inquirer has really become sort of the bastion of Alana sports coverage. And that's not to say anything negative of the News Gazette, who still has reporters doing good work over there. But really, if you think about it, over the last decade, you could chart it. You could graph it. The growth of J into Alana Inquirer, into the split with Jeremy's own show. It's pretty remarkable what he's grown. So I, is it weird to say I'm proud of someone that's my age, but I worked with for a decade and, and could see it happening, you know, right in front of me that this is someone that's building something pretty cool. So congrats to him. Congrats to Austin, who I know I've said this before, nicest person I've ever met. I've met some nice people. Most of the people I associate with at the end of the day are pretty nice, but Austin is truly one of the most genuinely nice people that you'll ever interact with. And there were so many great conversations that Austin and I and Harry and Trevor would have in Austin's office before we'd hit the air for Tay and Carp. And even predating that back in the Tay and Jay days, I mean, Austin's been there since 2012. And that was about a year and a half after I got there. So it's not like in terms of seniority that Austin and I are all that different in terms of how long we were at 93.5. So for those two guys and, of course, for Jake, another intern over there, and Isaac Trotter and all the people that went through, you know, it's sad. It's sad when something like that ends, though I think as Jeremy and Austin spoke on, it was not some sort of, uh, you know, tragic ending by any stretch. It was simply the right time to do it. And I get it in another sense that who knows what the fall is going to bring in terms of sports. And the fact that they made it that far, and same with Lon and Derek, the fact they made it this far, doing 10 hours of radio a week when there's been a complete absence of live sports, that is not easy. I know there are far more difficult jobs, so I'm not trying to compare here. It's certainly apples and oranges, but they made it that far without live sports, and they still found unique ways to cover it. So congrats to Jeremy and Austin. That is me just kind of reflecting on guys that I know well from 93.5, guys that were at my wedding, you know, people that you, over the course of time, will always have some sort of relationship with, even if it's just a text to check in. And certainly, if you see them in, in the tailgate lots, you're going to share a drink and and reminisce a bit and see how they're doing. It's It's cool to have been a part of a fairly large coaching tree, And when I say that, I think about how there's the Mike Holmgren coaching tree in the NFL and all the famous guys like Andy Reid that have went through that and how the T&J show really 
kind of spread its tentacles through so many talented people that I can follow them on Twitter and they're working at, you know, sports stations up in Milwaukee, out in Kansas, all over the country. And yet they were either interns or producers or they did something along the way for 93.5. It provided opportunities, certainly for me. It got me out of an office job. I didn't think I'd ever do radio again. And then the store opened and here I am 10 years later. And a lot of that is due to the fact that Lon and Jeremy set the foundation for something that had staying power and brought something to this area. And I can vouch for this as a 33-year-old who's lived in Champaign-Urbana my whole life. They brought something to the area that had never been here before. No offense to Sportsline. That is your old-fashioned sports call-in show. TNJ was something different. Real personalities talking about real life things going on along with all the sports coverage that you wanted. To me, it was rewarding to be on that show. It was rewarding to um, have a role that, that grew in that show and then to see the success, however brief, you know, I know that certainly the Jeremy Warner show, Tay and Carp, they didn't last as long as Tay and Jay for a variety of reasons. And I don't know if I can necessarily get into those here, but I will say that just being a part of that ride, that's something that when I'm 50, 60 years old, I can look back on and smile and know that somewhere in some bar or garage, and this was what Lon would always say, and I totally agree with it, that some bar or garage conversation, there might be a guy that says, hey, do you remember that Tay and Jay show? There's going to be that. And you know, for me, that's enough to just be a part of people's memories with Illini Sports, even though, let's be real, the last decade of Illini Sports and a lot of that covered by Tay and Jay, Tay and Carp, Jeremy Warner Show. They were not the best of times, no. But we had a lot of fun doing it nonetheless. So uh, there's going to be other things coming up around the bend. Jeremy's a busy guy. He's going to be figuring things out. Austin, I'm excited to see where his career goes. Lon and Derek are still doing their things in the afternoon. But uh, I, I do think that it is, in many ways, the end of an era. And I don't know if that's hyperbole either, because it does feel as if Man, I look back at the the run that we had on 93.5, and there was certainly a time when it felt like this could be here forever. And then you realize how fleeting things are in media. And this is where podcasting in a lot of ways is liberating because there is no shelf life. It's really just as long as you want to do it, you can do it. And certainly you hope that you pick up some listeners along the way. But man, you look at uh, local radio and the financial realities that they're facing, and only exacerbated by the pandemic. And I wouldn't want to be in any of those positions of a, a station GM, any of that stuff, where you got to look at the numbers and think, how the hell are we going to make this thing work? That is a scary place to be, along with many other businesses. But, you know, the first thing to go is not the electric bill. It's not the water bill. It's the advertising budget. And I understand why businesses would not be so uh, you know, excited to throw a bunch of money at any radio station right now, but it's still sad nonetheless to know people that are in that field and know that they're feeling that pinch. So hopefully we get on the other side of this thing sooner rather than later, not just because of radio and the realities that they're facing, but also because we got a basketball season that we need to see. Must see basketball right here in Champaign. Whether or not we go to the State Farm Center, you know what? I'd love to be there. I had so much fun. On March 8th, what was the last Illini home game against Iowa? I'd love to be there, but I don't need that. I do need a basketball season, though, because Io and Kofi coming back, Io for his junior year, Kofi for his sophomore year, presumably the last go-round for this roster until you get some turnover. And I, I have no doubts that Brad Underwood's going to have success here, but this is one hell of a roster. This is the kind of team that could make a Final Four. Or, as Jeremy Warner has often said, conference titles. That's really more of an indicator of how strong a program is because that's less of a crapshoot than making a deep tournament run. But you are primed for that now. Now, Friday night was one of those moments. Wherever you were, you're going to remember getting the news. I was sitting out at the campfire last night in Wisconsin, having one of those really good whiskey-drenched conversations with my brother-in-law. Deep stuff, right? But it's always good conversation when you got a good drink and you're around a campfire. So we're having one of those. And I get this text from an old friend of mine from high school. We used to be on the school paper together. We talk sports all the time. And it had a link to Io's Twitter account. And there was a video. Now, the thing about Wisconsin, as far north as we go in the woods, service is not all that great. I could get a Twitter update, but I'm probably not going to be able to watch some sort of video you know, for a few minutes as it loads you know, kilobyte by kilobyte. 
So I don't even watch it, but I think, well, there's only one reason that he would send me this video. And it wouldn't be some video of Io saying, eh, I'm going to stay in the draft just like I told you three, four months ago. That was not going to be the video. I knew that. So immediately I pop onto Twitter and I see people freaking out. I still have not seen the video. Haven't watched it, but I've been so swept up in this bit of good news that eh, whatever, I'll get to it. The news just sweeps across Twitter, text messages going crazy from friends. Oh my God, can you believe it? I was coming back. And this is something that if you're an Illini fan, you're going to remember that. You're going to remember that feeling in the midst of this pandemic and the absence of college sports. That moment where it felt like, oh my God, if we can get this off the ground and have a basketball season, we are going to be as excited for this Illini team as we have since when? I saw a tweet about this. When was the last time that we've been able to be this excited about an Illini basketball team during an offseason? You could go back to 04, before the 04, 05 team. I think we all knew that team was going to be really good. To me, I actually go a little bit further back to what would have been 2001. Frank had come back for his junior year. Lucas Johnson, he was battling an ACL and trying to work his way back sometime in the Big Ten season, and he did. But going to Huff Hall for Midnight Madness in October 2001, and it was absolutely packed, and all that was on anybody's mind was a Final Four run. That was the preseason expectation for 2001. In a weird way, a 102, Bill Self's second year here, was kind of a disappointment, even though they won the Big Ten, they made a Sweet 16. It was a disappointment only because those expectations got so sky high before the season, higher than they had been the year before, even though he lost Marcus Griffin and Sergio McLean. But as I look at the expectations coming into this season, and, and this is pre-Kofi announcing it, but Io coming back alone, just him. Like, let's say Kofi decided to stay in the NBA draft. I look at the intangible factor of what he brings to the table and the games that he won, don't want to say single-handedly, but because he is a playmaker, he has an it factor that no Alani has had really since D and then before that Frank. That is something special that that alone in college basketball, you can ride that to a Final Four. You can ride that to a conference title. So I'm thinking, as he says in that video, which I still have not seen. I don't know why. I need to actually watch this thing. He says, I need that national championship. I need that natty. Okay. Does anyone doubt that Io could actually, again, not single-handedly, but kind of carry a pretty good roster anyway to a national championship? When you saw time and time again last year, especially in January and February, and of course, the few games that we had in March, then when it came down to it, Iowa was going to make that shot. He was going to make that play. Even if he didn't make the shot, he was going to create for somebody else time and time again. And in thinking about the step that he took from freshman to sophomore year, why would he not take a similar step from sophomore to junior year? A man amongst boys, someone that was already toying with opponents anyway last year, you give him another offseason. And a Big Ten that certainly is top heavy with Luca Garza coming back to Iowa, Michigan State, going to be Michigan State, Wisconsin, ugh, give me a break, but yes, they're going to be good. As, as much as I hate that. But there's no reason to say now with Io and then Kofi announcing on Saturday that this is not the best roster in the Big Ten. And that is not a place that Illinois has been in since 04-05. After the Final Four run in 05, I think we all were hoping that they could scratch out one more Big Ten title with Dean James, and they almost did if that Richard McBride shot would have been, you know, 0.1 second earlier than when it was released. You win that game, and then you would have won three Big Ten titles in a row. But we have not sniffed a Big Ten title since. And this is Illinois basketball, and we're, we're craving it. That's why last year, I say last year, I guess this would have been six months ago, when you had the two-game stretch with Maryland on Friday night, Michigan State on Tuesday, they didn't go the way you wanted to. But it was an unbelievable feeling just to be back in that conversation and know that you controlled your own destiny for a Big Ten title. They weren't able to get it done last year. They were a game short. That stinks. But you were alone in fourth place. You returned more valuable players than any other team in the Big Ten. I saw John Rothstein said that the road to the Big Ten title runs through Iowa City. It doesn't. Luca Garza, Iowa, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with again. That offense, as we know, is scary. It's a frighteningly good offense for Fran McCaffrey in Iowa. And much as I hate it, yes, they're going to be right there and they're going to be a Final Four threat. But you know what? The more complete roster offensively, defensively, top to bottom, is Illinois. They're deeper, but also the top end, yeah, you got Luca Garza on Iowa, but you got a one-two punch with Iowa and Kofi on Illinois that no other team in the Big Ten is going to have. And that's not to mention the supporting cast, including freshmen. Now, is it a little bit naive of me 
to put all these expectations on an Adam Miller and Andre Curbelo. I was doing that beforehand. When it appeared as if Iowa and Kofi were not going to be here, I said, you know what, I still think that this team could be okay. I mean, I don't know, bubble team, unfortunately, but they're going to be okay because Andre Curbelo and Adam Miller are that good. But for freshmen, to be able to take the onus off of them, let them be role players, let them make the plays that they can make, but we'll never feel like they're forced into making those plays. I think that's of huge importance because if I reflect on when Illinois basketball has been at its best, it's been because the roster turnover, it's never been too drastic. Usually the freshmen back in the day, let's say the Bill Self, Lon Kruger, you take the early part of the Bruce Weber era, there were guys that were able to work themselves in with the exception kind of of D and Darren that were sort of thrust right into it. James Augustine as well. They had to start, but they already had Brian Cook. I mean, we're talking first team all Big Ten. I forget if he won the Big Ten MVP, but if he didn't, he was second or third. They had a monster player on that roster already. Roster building, right? You just kind of scaffold, and each year you're adding new guys while you still have those signature pieces in place. Not asking Andre Crabello and Adam Miller to be stars right away is huge. They're going to be good. We know that. You don't have to ask them to do too much, though, and that's going to be huge for their development and huge for their production this year. Now, Io can carry the load. We've already seen that. Kofi? Come on, beast. He's going to carry the load down low. That's going to help a guy like Georgie, who I think after an offseason, take a step back and, and maybe figure some things out. He will be improved in his junior year. But I also look at other factors. DeMonte Williams and Trent Frazier, your seniors. You know, with Iowa coming back, it also takes the onus off of them. They can be the role players without having to feel like they need to do too much. I think for Trent Frazier, that's going to be huge. The fact that he still will not have to handle the ball because you got an Andre Curbelo there to help out in that guard rotation. Which, by the way, your guard rotation, Io, Trent, Andre Curbelo, Adam Miller. I'll throw DeMonte in there, even though he's going to play the three and four. You got Grandison and Hutcherson. Enough depth to not really have to miss Andres Feliz. And that's saying something because we all were reminded in the TBT just how good Andres Feliz was for Illinois last year. But what a change of expectations. What a change of emotions regarding sports because I think about where I was with Illinois football and basketball before that announcement on Friday. And let's be real, we're all kind of proceeding with caution and hoping, hoping beyond hope now especially, that there is a basketball season. Football, (laughs) I think we can all temper our expectations with football because there's so many obstacles that they're going to have to face, especially early in the fall as we are still just spiking all around this country. But even if it doesn't start until January or February, There's got to be a way to get this basketball thing off the ground. And now we have a reason to be excited for it, if it does happen. And I've seen people, and I know they're tweeting this in jest, tongue-in-cheek, but they're saying, wear your damn mask because we got a basketball season to watch. But you know what? If that's enough to get people that were on the fence about wearing the mask to wear the stupid mask, whatever. At this point, I'll take it because we're all in the same boat. If you're an Illini fan, (laughs) regardless of what side you are on the so-called mask debate, you want this to happen. This is a not once in a lifetime, but for Illinois, it appears once in 16 years kind of proposition. I saw that floating around as well. 1989, 2005, 2021. It's perfect. And if you think about Illinois basketball, it seems like it does take that perfect storm of a year for us to make that Final Four run, to win a Big Ten title. In 89, of course, the final line, that was just a perfect storm of talent. It was the culmination of an entire decade of really good Illinois basketball Peak recruiting from Jimmy Collins, getting the transfer in Kenny Battle, everything meshing perfectly. And then you make a Final Four run. In 2005, the 100th season of Illinois basketball, entering it, all the expectations, the storybook that was already being written before they played a game. And they got it done in terms of making it to the Final Four, making it to the national title. A season to remember, you can hang a Final Four banner. To me, as badly as I want that national title, The sign of success for college basketball. How many Final Four banners and conference titles do you have up in the Raptors? We'll get to national title conversation if this team can make a deep tournament run. I don't want to get into that now because that is something that everything has to go right. Even for the teams where everything goes right in the offseason, all the guys come back and get some nice additions and the transfer market, whatever, everything still has to go right for you to win a national title. But if you ask me, can this team do it? Yes, on the roster alone, on the fact that we did see quite a bit of development from your key players, and that's a credit to the coaching staff. It is a loaded roster. It is deep. I 
am still a little bit concerned about the wing position, but when you have enough playmakers, I think you can withstand not having a total stud three or four. You're going to have to mix and match. You're going to have to hope that other teams play smaller lineups sometimes or that Georgie figures things out and can play the four a lot more for you this year. Those things could happen, but you have enough positives on this roster and you have the X factor of Io and Kofi coming back that there's no reason for me to say that this team cannot win a national title. And what a place to be. You know, I mentioned how the 10 years that 93.5 had Lon and Jeremy and then any iteration of Tan J, Tan Carp, Jeremy Warner show now, the drive in the afternoon, how for the most part, there was a dearth of success. You didn't get it. And we had to sort of make do with a bunch of crap or mediocrity in the case of John Gross. And now a decade later, we're actually looking right in the face of a team, a roster, that we could, for fun, have conversations about how would this roster fare against 89 or 2005. Now, at the moment, I think we would probably agree that 89, 05, those rosters are still better than what you have. But the potential of the 2021 roster is such where they could be every bit as good, or I should say every bit as accomplished as 89 and 05, making the deep tournament run, winning a conference title, a season to remember, right? We all want those. And in my lifetime, there's been a decent number of Illini basketball seasons to remember. The first one would have been probably 98, the surprise Big Ten title run, because I'm not going to include 89. I was too young for that. And then, of course, you have the Bill Self era, the early Bruce Weber uh, run. That's basically six years in a row of really good basketball, or eight out of nine, because you can take 99 out of there, even though they made the Big Ten tournament final. So I've had plenty of special seasons for Illini basketball, but this one coming up, if it happens, would shape up to be right up there with the best. So it's remarkable. And I got to give credit to Brad Underwood and the staff for even having Illinois in a position where if Iowa and Kofi weren't coming back, certainly this would have been an uphill battle for this team. I think a bubble team is probably a likely expectation, though if everything went right, they'd make the tournament. And I think the way that this program is progressing. I think the trajectory pointing up for them, they would have found their way into an NCAA tournament if there was, in fact, going to be an NCAA tournament next year. But now you can take the bubble conversation out at the window. This is a tournament team. And that's another thing that we can look forward to. Entering a season, not having to worry about, oh God, will this team make the tournament or won't they? We can ignore that. And in terms of the drought, I know there wasn't a tournament last year. Listen, this was a tournament team. The drought's over. So you can stick that where the sun doesn't shine. I, I don't buy that argument. They were clearly going to make the tournament six seed, seven seed, whatever it may be. So the drought is over. We can all take a deep breath and enjoy whatever happens if there is a season. Don't you hate that caveat? I know that there continues to be kind of like whack-a-mole. You'll see on Twitter somebody say to a reporter or a sports media type, whether they be on the radio, podcast, whatever, you know, you guys just, you, you don't want the sports to come back really. Give me a break. I'm watching baseball and getting pissed off at the Marlins or the Cardinals for getting positive cases because the Yankees are kicking ass right now and they can win a World Series. I want sports to stay and I want other sports to come back. Illinois football less so than Illinois basketball, but I would still like to have fall football Saturdays, as would many, right? We all want this to come back. And that is where I don't know so much if this is uh, false hope. You know, I think that we're all trying to hold on to something that gives us excitement, that makes us feel good. We know sports can do that. And just the thought of them returning, that can sometimes be enough. I've said before, I think two or three podcasts ago, maybe the conversation I have with Casey Boguslaw, that if we get like 30 Major League Baseball games before they got to shut the thing down, at least I got those 30. And I'm taking that approach with sports and really with anything right now. You know, when concerts come back, same thing. I'm just going to be happy to be at a Dave Matthews Band show, even if the set list absolutely sucks. I'm going to be just happy to be there and not take those things for granted. So as we look down the tunnel and actually see a little bit of light, not so much with the pandemic, but with sports, like it's right there. It's attainable. It's within reach. If that's the thing, if that's the point of emphasis that people need to actually kind of take this thing seriously, that's fine. And wouldn't it be remarkable too, if sports... Take SEC football, for example. That was enough to get some of those states like Florida, Georgia, um, Texas for the Big 12, get them to focus on getting things heading in the right direction so they can get their football in the fall, whatever it takes. You know, and sometimes it is the things that we care about that will get us to finally kind of straighten up and act right. 
sports may be your thing. Sports are certainly part of my thing. And I don't want baseball to go anywhere. I want Illinois basketball back at some point, even if it's January when the thing starts and it's a conference-only schedule, any of that stuff. I'm going to take it. I'm going to love every minute of it. Fans are no fans in the stands. I've been enjoying just watching them on TV. But that was certainly scary last week when I'm in Wisconsin and I'm seeing the Marlins. You know, I think, what was it, 17 or 18 players and staff came down with it. And I'm thinking the freaking Marlins. Now, that's a very selfish approach for me to take. My concern should be the fact that any team and any player, any staff or coach member, they could get the virus and Miami just happened to be the one. But my mind immediately in my sort of sports fanboy brain went to, I hate the Marlins. Who cares about the Marlins? Of course, it would be the Marlins to screw this thing up. The Cardinals, they have a little mini outbreak. They get their weekend series against the Brewers canceled. There was a picture of two of their guys in Southern Illinois just hanging out with a lady at some like boat shop or something, not wearing masks. And, and Trevor had sent me this, he being a Cubs fan. And I think, of course, of course the Cardinals are going to screw this thing up. Again, not coming so much from a humanistic perspective, but much more of a sports fan. Give me a break. The Yankees can win the World Series and these stupid teams are screwing it up for them. But that is a reality that we're going to have to face. Maybe it's going to be Northwestern. That derails the whole thing. I mean, you know, you just never know, though. You never know, unfortunately, with the way things are, what team or what clubhouse or locker room is going to be the spreader event. And then all of a sudden, you are looking at a shortened season. So let's let's flip that, right? Let's get this to a point where we can get all the sports back. Though we are seeing that there are players opting out. Baseball, Lorenzo Cain, nothing to sneeze at. Pretty good player for the Brewers. He sees this weekend series get canceled. He says, you know what? I'm tapping out. I'm not into this. The Bears, Eddie Goldman, great defensive lineman. I'm tapping out. I'm not into this. NFL, you're going to see a lot more of those guys tapping out. And I think that's just the nature of football. That's a pretty scary sport to be playing in the middle of a pandemic. I don't fault any of those guys. We saw it right here in Illinois. Ray Von Bonner, one of the first to do so. Shannon Ryan wrote a great article about Ray Von Bonner deciding that he's going to opt out of this season. He won't be the last to do so. And I can't fault, especially any college athlete that is not getting compensated in order to go out there and play football if they say, you know what, I'm not into this. The Pac-12, 100 plus players in the Pac-12 essentially start a union. We are united, they say. And on the Players' Tribune, which I think is that website that Derek Jeter owns and it has all these uh, athletes publishing articles about their experiences, they're saying we are not playing this fall unless these safety demands are met. They talk about racial justice demands being met. They also talk about spreading the wealth, basically, of the uh, the revenue that comes into the Pac-12. Why is this not coming to us? We want half. And you know what? I think that's okay. I think that's okay for college football players. Instead of going onto the field and bashing into each other and potentially getting the virus, even if they're going to be okay, some of them will be, uh, that it's okay for them to say, wait a second, this is kind of a risky proposition. We want a little bit more. You're seeing that run the gamut from college to professional. You're going to see a lot of athletes doing that, and it's going to, of course, piss some people off. But ultimately, it's going to come back around to any of our favorite teams. It already has with Illinois, with Bonner. If you're a Bears fan, Eddie Goldman is a huge loss on that defense. This is going to be felt by everybody. And I think about even returning to school, which I know that's apples and oranges compared to playing a football game and bashing into people. But mask or no mask... I'm feeling that anxiety a little bit. I'm feeling that about three weeks before I'd be back, according to the plan, in the classroom with 10, 11, 12 kids. Because, you know, we are in this situation where we just don't know enough. And what we do know is that there's a risk involved. And yeah, we may not die from it, but there may be other complications. Eduardo Rodriguez for the Red Sox has a heart condition that may or may not have been brought on from COVID-19. 27-year-old professional baseball player, pretty good starting pitcher for the Red Sox. Six years younger than I am. In other words, you know, humility. Exercising humility in the face is something that we don't know a whole lot about. And that's what a lot of these athletes have begun to do in saying, you know what, nah, I got a family to worry about. But to borrow Harry Black's least favorite cliche, double-edged sword, and I don't even know if a double-edged sword would apply here. The sports fan in me, happy to have the Yankees kicking butt, but also realizing that this may not be the best idea that people may get sick or hurt, but I'm enjoying the sports. And I think that that's the sort of rocky terrain that we're all navigating right now. Even if we feel like, should they be out there? Well, are we watching? Yeah. I'm watching baseball. I'm loving every minute. 
Cubs, White Sox, Cardinals, if it's on, and especially if the Yankees are on, I'm going to have it on TV as background noise, just happy to have it back. But I also understand that this whole thing is a house of cards, and it could get blown over with a couple more outbreaks, and then all of a sudden, as we had one day last week, 20% of major league teams not playing because their games were postponed because of COVID tests. 20% in a given day. That is not really a competitive balance. There are a lot of issues that go in with that, but most important of all is the health and safety issue. So I would love to think that we get a World Series in October. I think ultimately we still do, even though it may look and feel a little bit weird or maybe that the winner doesn't deserve it because the season was all screwed up, whatever it may be. I get the same uneasy feeling about college sports coming back. I do not get that sense from the NBA. And because of numbers, they can pull that off. The NFL probably can't do a bubble. When you have 70 plus players and all the coaches and staff on a sideline, you probably can't do the bubble thing in one city and hope to keep all those guys quarantined. Wouldn't work. NBA, they have the benefit of smaller rosters, not having to have every bit of staff and personnel there. And they're pulling it off and it looks great. I I love the little video board that wraps around the court that has fans zooming in. They got creative. They figured it out. And then I compare and contrast that with Rob Manfred and this half-assed baseball season, which believe me, I will take a half-assed baseball season over no baseball season at all. But Compare and contrast that with the NBA. It's just remarkable how badly baseball just kind of went into this thing thinking, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. And they're mixing up the schedule. And listen, it could be more of a disaster so far, but it's a tenuous start. I'll put it that way. College football, man, that just feels like that could be a wreck pretty quick. So I, I immediately then pivot to, okay, how bad would college football have to be for colleges to just say, you know what, basketball too, that's done. And whatever that point is, I don't want to get to that point. Because Illinois football, they could lose a season, but I cannot lose this Illinois basketball season. No, no, no. And I I got to think other Illinois fans are in that boat too. If you were asked this simple question, would you sacrifice this football season if it ensured you that you will get some sort of basketball season later on? I think most Illinois fans would take that. Best case scenario, we don't need to worry about any of those hypotheticals. All the sports go on without a hitch. And we're sitting here in October watching college football on Saturday afternoon, a World Series game at night, and we're getting ready for Midnight Madness, which no fans can attend, of course, but nonetheless, college basketball being right around the corner. You give me that scenario, I'm taking it. All right, enough about COVID. You're probably thinking, God, he talks about it as much as Clay Travis. Well, that may be true, but I'm not an idiot like that guy is. And of course, he's continuing to perpetuate this whole thing, that it's not a big deal. And it's that kind of attitude, Mr. Travis. That will lead to us not having any sports at all. So just come on, come on, work with me here. Work with other people that want Iowa and Kofi to be on that court so they can make a deep tournament run. Speaking of Illini basketball, we got the news last week about Lou Henson passing away. And that's one of those bits of news that you know is going to happen. You don't know when, but you sort of prepare yourself for it by reflecting every so often about what your experiences were like watching Lou and his teams. And for me, at 33, that places me in 1986, three years old when they make the Final Four, actually two and a half, where I don't remember the best of the Lou Henson era. I don't remember the 80s. I had to be told about that, just like I've been told time and time again about how Mike White and the Rose Bowl team and just the excitement with Illinois football and the 85 Bears being another example where I think, man, did I miss the boat on this thing? Did I miss all the best times? 80s Illini basketball was something to behold. And you can go back in a media guide or go to Wikipedia, check out Lou Henson's record. It's pretty remarkable the run they had. I understand that they only won one Big Ten title in 83-84. Probably should have made two Final Fours because they, of course, got a little screwed there at the end of the Kentucky game in Kentucky in March of 84. But they were remarkably consistent in the 80s. And I don't just mean, oh, middle of the pack Big Ten. They were top four finishes in the Big Ten. Only four of those seasons did they have 10 or more losses. The rest of them were single-digit loss years always ranked somewhere within the top 15. And I'm thinking, God, man, I would have loved to have seen what that was like, especially considering that Illinois basketball before Lou was not in a good place. It's a rich history, but you look at the 70s and pre-Lou Henson, it had really gotten into the pits and he brought this program out. I would like to think that in a lot of ways, Brad Underwood's going to do the same thing or we're going to look back on the Underwood era similar to how we look on Lou Henson getting this program out of the doldrums and really upping the talent, getting them back into conference title races. 
And he could very well do that, but you need to have a foundation somewhere. Any basketball program does. And where Michigan State had Judd Heathcote before Tom Izzo, Illinois had Lou Henson before Juan Kruger, Bill Self, Bruce Weber early on. The foundation which led to greater success. I agreed with the idea of naming that court Lou Henson Court. I know that there was a little bit of debate, and I thought that it was a fairly uh, reasonable debate to say, well, did he accomplish enough to get his name on the court? Again, you go back to one Big Ten title, one Final Four appearance. And that alone, you'd look at and say, well, he was good, but how, how good was he? We also need to take into context the fact that as he got that program its best shape ever, there was the situation with Bruce Pearl. And that really hamstrung what he could do in the 90s. And yet, he was still making tournaments after probation. He was still bringing in pretty good talent and allowing a guy like Lon Kruger to come in here and succeed pretty much immediately. So it is unfortunate that that career here at Illinois will always have not an asterisk, but that turn in 1990 with the Deion Thomas recruiting fiasco and Bruce Pearl and, and all that stuff. There's a reason why Illini fans hate Bruce Pearl the way they do. And I was young enough to not experience it firsthand, but you realize that the whole trajectory of the program could have been even higher than it was if that had not happened. Things were just cruising at that point, And that was 15 years of foundational build by Lou and Jimmy Collins and the supporting staff. But Lou as a coach, I mentioned earlier how it seems that certain programs have that guy, that face of the program that it appears they're going to be there forever. And I remember distinctly watching Illinois basketball as a five, six, seven-year-old. And what a what an era that was to watch Illini basketball one night and then the championship bowls in another, essentially six, seven months of the year of really high-quality basketball. And Lou, when you're a kid especially, he had the funny hair. He looked older then. I mean, I know he wasn't that old, but he, he did have an oldish kind of appearance because of the salt and pepper hair and, and the way that he wore it. And he had that Southern drawl that you would listen to to and from the games as he was talking to Jim Turpin and Lauren Tate, who, again, they, they felt kind of old to me back then as well, Jim and Lauren. And I, I feel bad saying that. But as a kid, it felt like, man, these guys have been here forever. These guys are institutions. They're never going to leave. And I remember being shocked when my dad and I left the game. And I, I forget who the opponent was. It might have been Iowa. But this would have been in 1996, leaving a game in late February, early March. And Lou announces at the press conference that he is retiring. This is his last season. It was known at that point that they were not going to make the tournament. That team struggled that year. But it was a shocker, even for nine-year-old me. I would have been nine at that point. And asking my dad, essentially, what now? I mean, is there an Illinois basketball after Lou Henson? As I grew older and found out through conversations that, you know, Lou was well-liked, but it felt as if his time had come. But man, when you're that young, you don't know it. When you're that young, it just seems like this is just the Illini basketball coach. He'll be here forever. He's been here forever, apparently, from 1978. That felt like an eternity ago. And it was abrupt. We stayed in town, actually. We had this Disney trip that we had planned for spring break, and we were going to leave on a Friday evening or Saturday morning, but we stayed for that final game against Minnesota, which was a heartbreaking loss, but whatever. They weren't making the tournament, and it was really more of a celebration for Lou. Ended up leaving and, and getting to Tennessee halfway there, like at you know midnight, something like that, but we were going to do that for Lou. There was no question about it. We got two extra tickets, I think a row from the top just so the entire family could be there because my parents understood that this was a big deal. And it was because that was the end of an era, 18 seasons of a remarkable run and the context with which he built this program from really nothing and turned it into a perpetual NCAA tournament team, Big Ten contender at least. That's something that really should be appreciated. And because of him, because of the expectations that were set when he was here, it made it unacceptable what Bruce Weber was doing at the end of his career, what John Gross did over five years. Not acceptable. And I think that's important. I think it's important for college programs to say, you know what? No, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. And if we don't accomplish that, we need to figure out what the solution is. And that all comes from the fact that Lou Henson had the run that he did. Not to mention that within the community, how well-liked he was. Now, I... I met him maybe once or twice. I know I got an autograph or two. Very friendly guy. And this is when I was a kid. And his 
reputation in the community was probably even stronger than that of a basketball coach. He was a nice guy first and a good basketball coach second. And that can be rare when you get to college sports, especially nowadays. And you think of all the money going around and everything. This is not to say that most college coaches are just egotistical jerks, but there's a decent enough percentage that probably are. And that goes to the territory now. That's why a guy like Lou is a throwback. He's just a guy who likes to coach and he made some decent money and everything. And certainly in the 80s, we can probably presume that he played the game to make sure that Illinois got the players that they needed to. I mean, listen, the Deion Thomas thing is frustrating, but I think we could probably stop pretending that everything was crystal clean back in the 80s when they were getting all these studs in here. But that aside, the guy ran a really good program in an old school way that, yeah, it ran its course in the mid-90s. But while he was here, you could be proud of it, and you could feel good about Illini basketball, and that's more than could be said for a lot of the last decade. That's what made that run from 2010 to 2019 as as frustrating as it was, because we thought, God, even if we just get back to the 90s Lou Henson level of making tournaments, it wasn't the sexiest program then, but other Big Ten teams would see Illinois on the schedule and think, that's going to be tough. And you got to start there before you start thinking about Conference titles, Final Four, all that. But I did meet Lou later on. I met him in 2013, I want to say 2013, when we were at the new station out on Windsor Road, and he was scheduled to be on with Lon and Jeremy. Now, this was about a 5.15 interview. They did their opening segment at 5 o'clock, and then he and Mary were going to pop in, but he wasn't showing up. And at about 5.25, I think, I'm checking out. I didn't need to be there that night. And I said, I'm going home and I'm listening to the show. And about five minutes down Windsor, all of a sudden I hear Lon say, um, Mary Henson's tapping at the window. Now, unbeknownst to me, the door was locked. I left the station. The door was locked behind me. So they had no way of getting in. I U-turn it, haul ass back to the station, even though I know that Lon and Jeremy were letting them in. But I wanted to meet Lou because I had not done so since I was a kid. And plus he had had, I think by then, the cancer scare. And you you just feel like in that situation, I didn't want to miss what might have been my final opportunity to meet Lou and shake his hand. And, And I was able to do that and talk with him and Mary for about five minutes out in the lobby after they finished their interview with Lon and Jeremy. And they were every bit of the down home, nice people that their reputations would suggest. They were very friendly. And just like Trevor had tweeted out, it, it almost felt like Lou could have kept talking. And I think eventually I was like, well, hey, you guys have a good night. And, and then the conversation ended. But I think it would have kept going because he just enjoyed having conversations with people. That was in his nature. And Trevor had a similar situation where they were just talking basketball. And then Trevor eventually had to say, hey, I, I tell you what, I, I got to go. Lou, it was so great meeting you. I think a lot of people have stories like that. A lot of people were reflecting last week on their own experiences with Lou. But I think it's one of those things that I look at the thrill I get of going to Illini basketball games, and it all began with Lou. You know, The reason that I put Illinois basketball on the pedestal that I put it on, right next to Yankees baseball, and then everything else kind of falls underneath those two teams, is because of what Lou built. And to think of those early experiences, and this is early mid-90s when Final Fours were not on the horizon and Illinois was merely good, not great, but good. And the sound of that assembly hall during the Illinois-Iowa game when Andy Kaufman hits the game winner, the sound when Indiana and Bobby Knight would come into town, the vitriol going through that stadium, same with the Purdue's of the world. And and how much fun it was. And that was really sort of like a baptism for sports. It's like, this is what it's all about. This is why people continue to go to games. Why it's one of the most exciting things to be a part of a packed stadium. Lou Henson's teams. Lou Henson's Illini basketball program. That's where it all began. So I think last week when that news came out, didn't cry, anything like that. I, I know the people that were close to him certainly would have because they had far more interactions and they probably were able to get to know him and Mary to a much more personal extent than even the most hardcore Illini fans did over time. But nonetheless, it still felt like a gut punch a little bit. You know, just that that little pit in your stomach like, I knew it was going to happen, but that still sucks. And it does. Not to say that we wouldn't all be so lucky to live that long and that full of a life, but when it ends, however long and however full it may be, it's still a very final period at the end of a sentence. It's just boom, that's it. 
And it was cool to see that there was a bit of a makeshift memorial over at State Farm Center. You know, unfortunately, given the nature of this pandemic, I don't think that we were probably able to do, and I don't know what it would have looked like in the community, but I think that's part of the reason they had to do a very quiet ceremony when they did after he passed. And another reason, you know, for selfish reasons perhaps, but another reason that we should all really kind of get behind getting this pandemic over with is that we got to do it right. We got to honor this guy, this legend, at the start of this season, what could be a very special season. And while, you know, listen, Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn, they, they didn't grow up watching Lou Henson's teams. But you take away the context of what he accomplished from 1978, I think I'm saying that right, 78, uh, to 1996. You take that away, and who knows if Illinois is even in the conversation for Io, or that the name Illinois would even draw Kofi's attention. It's hard to say if that would have been the case if there wasn't Lou Henson. So, sad news. And I, I know the Lana fans are feeling it in different ways, depending on how close you may have been with the Henson family. Or for those that actually lived through the 80s, I didn't get that privilege of seeing all those 80s teams from the beginning, late 70s with Eddie Johnson and Mark Smith, to Derek Harper, to Ephraim Winners, and the 83-84 team, to Ken Norman, to the final Lana team, just absolutely loaded with studs. Where You look at the jerseys hanging up in State Farm Center, and a big chunk of those are from the Lou Henson era, and that's not an accident. I know Jimmy Collins helped, but you know what? Lou put in a lot of work early on to lay the foundation for Jimmy to take it to the next step. So, uh, yeah, it's it's the end of a giant for Champaign-Urbana. I mean, you name, you try to, a bigger name in terms of impact on Champaign-Urbana's culture, whether that be popular culture, sports, any of that. TV personalities, coaches, I'm talking more like celebrity-based kind of people, you probably can't find a name bigger than Lou Henson. And then you add on top of that what he did for the community, starting the Orange Crush as a charitable organization. The amount of money that Lou raised over the years for valuable causes, the amount of heartache that he faced in his life and yet still always faced it with a smile, apparently. Just a tough guy. Well, let's not underrate how tough he was and how compassionate he was. And it is a rare thing to find someone that no one really has a negative thing to say about them. You have that many interactions with people, you're bound to have one or two where you piss somebody off or you weren't very nice to them. We've still yet to find that with Lou, and I don't think that's just because we're trying to wax poetic or, or turn him into an idol that he isn't. He was just a really good dude, and you take all the basketball stuff away from it, it's sad when you lose someone of that character, but of course, when you add the memories of Illinois basketball, of which there are many, it becomes that much more of a bitter pill to swallow. So condolences to the Henson family, to all the families of players and coaches that coach with them that are feeling that far more than I am because of that personal connection they had with them. We certainly lost an Illini legend, and I I know he'll be honored accordingly when we get back to sports. All right, before we go, uh, one more thing about an Illini alum, and this is Myers Leonard. There was uh, something that came out yesterday, and I'm recording this on Sunday, so this is Saturday during the NBA games, where he was standing for the National Anthem. He was wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, as all the other NBA players are doing. But I believe Myers and maybe one other athlete are the only ones to have stood during the anthem. Now, to give you some context, this is from Chris Haynes, and he's a senior NBA insider for Yahoo Sports. And he tweeted this out, along with a quote from Myers. This is first from Chris Haynes. Having known Myers Leonard for years can say he doesn't have a prejudiced bone in his body. He agonized, cried at times about not kneeling with teammates. His brother served in the Marines, so it was a painful decision. I asked him if he still views kneeling as disrespectful to the flag. This is the response from Myers Leonard. Quote, I absolutely do not. And I think, in fact, it's very powerful. I've learned. I've watched Cap's video when he talks about the Green Berets and what that meant. Certain people have certain views, and by the way, that should be okay. The reason this has been so hard is because to my core and to my heart, this is something that I knew was coming. I wonder what it was going to feel like when it happened. I was pretty sure that I would do what I did. However, because I've been around this for years and have many African-American friends, I've made great relationships in this locker room and in the past. That's why this is hard as hell. And that's why when I see players kneeling, I see unity. I see a group of men taking a stand to say, look, enough is enough. And I feel that. I do. And that's why I think it's very important that I continue to educate myself and my wife because she's committed. These are tough times in America and what I know at the end of the day, and I can say this with confidence, I am a good man and I have a good heart and I care about everyone. 
I was raised to love all people, period. No matter what your beliefs are, the color of your skin, it doesn't matter to me. And so I did what was right in my heart and will continue to do my best to impact all people because at the end of the day, I'm about impacting people and serving others and that's it, end quote. It's a thoughtful response from Myers. And while he mentions this in his quote that you know he, he understands that the kneeling isn't some sort of disrespectful thing to the military, the basis of why he's standing is because his brother served in the military and he knows other guys that have served in the military. So that is where there is a bit of a, I don't want to say contradiction because he explains the nuance of it, but that's where there is a little bit of a, it doesn't quite jive, right, on its face. The idea that, well, you know, this isn't about the military yet, I'm standing because of my association with the military. However, these things are not clean and there's going to be gray areas and it's going to be messy. And whether it be Myers or anybody else, you also don't want to get to a point where anyone feels compelled that they must do something. You must kneel for the anthem. You must stand for the anthem. All you can ask for people to do is to think through the situation, try to think through the nuances of it, and come up with an opinion that they think best exemplifies their beliefs and all of that. And Myers did that. What would I do if I were an NBA basketball player? I'd probably be kneeling. I think that I feel strongly enough about Black Lives Matter and racial injustice that I think that is a powerful stand to take. However, on the other side, it could be argued, well, would you have done that before George Floyd? Or would you have done that before all these other athletes did it in the first place? Probably not. And I think that that also shows that as we start getting into this anthem <laughs> kneel, don't kneel debate. And God knows that's going to be around for a while. But as we get into that, to always proceed with caution and, and not make a decision solely based on, well, it's what the others are doing. Three years ago when Kaepernick started this, the decision was easy for people to not kneel. It was unpopular. Now it is. And that's not to say that the intentions are not good behind people kneeling, but that is to say that many of those who are kneeling right now would not have done the same thing three years ago. Now, if they've thought this through and they think that kneeling or standing is what's best for them, I think that's all you can ask of people right now. Um, you know, Changing the hearts and minds of people is not an overnight process. And for Myers, there's enough of an association that he has with his brother who served in the military. And you may remember that video early in the Twitter days. This is, I think, 2012, when his brother came back to surprise him before an Illini basketball game. And Myers was just breaking down crying. And that was a huge moment for him. And he clearly loves his brother and respects the hell out of what he did in the military. And why not? Um, that is how he feels. I think he elaborated very well on why he feels that way. And I don't think anyone should begrudge him for standing during the anthem. Um, this is tricky, right? You know, this is something that is going to be uh, through individual cases debated and talked about. And it's going to be messy. But again, as we've said on the show before, the messiness is not something to run away from. That clumsiness that we're all going to feel trying to navigate certain topics is not something to be afraid of. Dig into it. Get messy. Get clumsy. Maybe say something that, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. I'm going to learn from that. That's okay. And I understand that people worry about cancel culture and all that. Don't worry about that. I know that's easier said than done. I've yet to be canceled. And then again, when you run a podcast and you aren't beholden to <laughs> program directors or station managers, you can really say what you want and you aren't going to be canceled. You just might lose a few listeners. But um, I, I feel like people sometimes overblow that and, and feel that they can't say something for fear of getting canceled. Here's what cancel culture looks like, Illini fans, for the Illini conversation going on Twitter. You might get a few angry tweets back. Big deal. Mute them. Do what you got to do to not worry about that noise. Um, I think the important thing is that people just continue to talk about it. Um, kudos to Myers and kudos to the people that are engaging in conversation about whether or not that's okay. His teammates, they're cool with it. And I understand the teammates are naturally going to say, yeah, we, we love our teammate. We love our brother. Maybe the conversations in the hotel rooms are different. Not on the record, but when they're talking to somebody else, like, I can't believe Myers didn't kneel. But I actually get the impression that no, that, that for the most part, his teammates understand it and respect it. Why? Because he thought through it. He came up with his belief system and what matters to him, and he expressed that to the people he cares about the most. And that's pretty impressive. In a climate with the NBA where I think it's great what they're doing and how they're letting these athletes use their voices politically and socially, I think it's a cool wrinkle 
in this conversation that we can have a further conversation after Myers decided to do this. All right, that's my soapbox for the day. We went about an hour. We don't have any guests today. We will have one later this week. TBD, we'll let you know. As I record this, it's Sunday afternoon. So by the time you listen to this, who knows? There might be a Big Ten conference-only schedule released. There may be more news about another Major League Baseball team with eight positive cases, and all of a sudden we're looking down the barrel of a, a postponement of the season. I don't know what it looks like. Things are moving quickly. But I do know this. It was certainly nice to get back from a very relaxing vacation in Wisconsin to come back and talk Illini basketball. That I will happily do anytime I hop on here. And thankfully, Iowa and Kofi gave us that much more reason to do so. Before we go, got to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO. Online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at 4th and Kirby.com. New designs coming very soon, and they're very cool. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it, brianismyguy.com. For the Alana Inquirer, for Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Hey, before we let you go, got to remind you. Give us a rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Helps us get found in those search engines. Appreciate all those that have so far. It really gives us a boost, and we love hearing from you. And you can follow me on Twitter, which you're probably doing anyways, at FanboyCarp. Other than that, I think that's it for the formalities. We'll see you later this week. I'm sure more news will break, and we'll have at least something to talk about. But until then, stay safe, stay cool, and we'll talk to you in a few days. It is the 200 level. <laughs>